Logocentrical podcast. I am Chance Lunsford. I am also Logocentrical. I'll let you think about what that means while I introduce my special guest. Today we have with us Jack Pasovic. Most of you won't need any introduction to the man, but I'll give a short one anyway. I stumbled across Jack when I was looking into the power that story and narrative have on our individual lives and also about how they impact and essentially are the tools by which people's mindsets and, and politics and, and viewpoints and the media are shifting opinions, whichever way uh, that they are trying to and, and how that really worked and what were the pieces. And I bought his book, 40 Warfare, which was a couple of things. It was very easy to read and to understand. And it also laid out very clearly many of the tools that you see being used on a day-to-day -day basis to try to shift your opinion one way or the other. And one thing I appreciated about the book was that at the same time that he's teaching you the tools, Poso is also using the tools on you and seeing, at least in my estimation, whether or not you were going to catch on to the fact that he was using them within the book on you. And I thought that was very clever. I reached out and uh, wanted to schedule an appearance so we could get into some of these tools and some of the ways that uh, Jack sees these things impacting our lives. And with that, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Chance, thanks so much. And just right from the start, let me say how much I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, in today's world of Twitter and sort of the 24-second news cycle, it seems like we're all caught in and can't seem to escape from. It's really uh, a real treat for me to be able to step back and talk about something that I've done a lot of work into, um, putting this book 4D Warfare together last year. Uh, it's only become more important, really, since it's been released, and I wish I could go back and add 10 more chapters just on things that have happened since then. But for people out in the listening or viewing community who don't know my background, my name is Jack Sobic. I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. Uh, grew up there, went to Temple University, double major, broadcast mass media and political science and national relations. Spent a few years working abroad in China, the Shanghai American Chamber of Commerce, immediately after uh, graduation, actually before graduation. And then uh, when I moved home, I joined the U.S. military. So we were initially working for the Navy in an enlisted capacity. I deployed to Guantanamo Bay. I spent a year there in the Human uh, Interrogation Operations Center. So learning a lot of, as you can imagine, uh, tools, techniques, and procedures in order to uh, learn uh, information from people who do not want to, to gather that or, or do not want to submit that information to U.S. government. Uh, then worked with uh, the Kennedy Regular Warfare Center at the Office of Naval Intelligence, DIA, other groups I deployed around the world, both as an intelligence collector and an intelligence director of Navy Task Forces, uh, also using very similar tactics, uh, as well as coupled with, you know, electronic collection and all the other fun stuff that you see in the movies, to employ these methods uh, from, from an intelligence collection standpoint. But then in 2016, I began volunteering with a group called Citizens for Trump, uh, really believed in that movement, really believed in what we were doing. 2017, got an offer to work in, in media because my, my Twitter account, my online profile really blew up. I decided to make a switch. I decided to leave the intelligence community. It came into media full time. 
and I've been doing that ever since. Now working at One American News, or just about just about a year and change at One American News cable network here in the United States. That's a that's a lot for people to think about, and it's it's quite the resume, and it's exactly why I wanted to invite you here to talk about these things because I, I figured why not go to someone who really understands the nature of the game and how it's played, but not only that, but as an active player basically every day. And maybe the first place I want to um, start to ask some questions is, is this, when you, when you, I, I see you um, have these, have these counter narratives to some of the stuff that a lot of the mainstream news outlets are putting out. And what I find very fascinating is that you seem to almost use the fire hose approach at first where maybe you chuck out some ABs or maybe you chuck out 10 different things and something gains a lot more traction than the others. And then you hammer on that one thing over and over and over again. And it really, it, it starts this tide and I see it spread out from you and from some of the other people that you seem to be clearly connected to. And it's just like this giant uh, like wave of this narrative that, that sweeps in and tries to maybe neutralize or counteract some of the stuff coming out of some of the um, maybe networks that are in opposition to your message. And I'm wondering, how do, you, how do you craft these things and what are some of the tools that you use to decide how you're going to, which, one, which pieces of information you're gonna to try to combat and then how do you craft specific counter narratives um, to those things that you've selected? So that's actually a great question. And uh, really the way I start my day is I wake up, um, I'm up usually six, seven, I've got a one-year-old, uh, he actually turns one tomorrow here, and um, you know, so he, he, he keeps us up pretty early. And I'll wake up and do a quick sort of headline scan, see what, what narratives are out there, and really try to identify if there's any mono narratives that are being pushed. When I say mono narratives, I mean, are there any large scale narrative pushes that are going on across multiple outlets that are all repeating the same thing or sort of a story that's being dropped, a news cycle that's starting uh, across various platforms. So if, the, if you see one of those, you can identify one of those, you know that's going to be a current big push. And that's something where you can find a lot of mainstream outlets are clearly coordinating behind the scenes at some point uh, in order to drive these all at the same time. It would be incredulous to think that they all have the same sources on the same story at the same time and publish at the same moment. It would be silly to think otherwise. So then I'll dig into that narrative if I can find it, and I'll try to understand the, the full mechanics of how it works. I'll understand where its centers of gravity are. So this is really taking a military intelligence approach towards breaking down sort of their campaign moving forward. And so any campaign is predicated along multiple lines of efforts, each one of those having sort of a critical point, uh, and that being its, its point of, of increased strength, you know, its maximum strength. But also there's a corollary because in order to have that, you need one critical position in order to really get started, get it off the up the, the boat, uh, if, you know, as you say in the Navy, or any type of cornerstone in order to prop up the entire thing. And so what I really do is once I pinpoint that center of gravity, I target that immediately. And I try to uh, either dislodge it, to debunk it, or, in, or to 
explain what's going on, whether there's a contextual situation. Uh, so, you know, just as a, as a very brief example, uh, there was a narrative that was dropped last week about uh, certain politicians' uh, business practices throughout the 1990s, the fact that he had been uh, completely bankrupt in the 1990s, lost a lot of money, it was millions, hundreds of millions of debt. And it's actually kind of silly that all of this was being, you know, bandied about, whereas the context wasn't provided whatsoever. And the context is, was the sort of missing cornerstone in terms of this push, because the context was, this was all the tactics that we see quite frequently from a lot of mainstream sources, is there was, this information was old and already reported. However, they were reporting it as if it was new and some sort of gotcha scenario, when in fact, not only had it been reported in real time, 20 years hence, and they're just assuming that people haven't heard the information before, so it seems like it's a, it's a new release, but actually, uh, the person involved, I'm trying not to say the name, I'm sure I guess it is, uh, <laughs> the person involved made it a big part of his brand, said it in the intro of his own TV show. So in that case, by simply providing the context to the story rather than you know they were trying to sling something and pull it out of context simply by providing context it made the entire thing fall apart hmm. yeah and you know obviously anybody who's listening to this is going to be keyed into who we're talking about and that's fine but one of the things i found just as a short aside remarkable about that particular situation was the fact that it was trying to be uh, the narrative was trying to focus on the fact that this much money had been lost when the actual remarkable thing was, number one, that that much money had been earned in the first place, and number two, that that much money had been uh, recovered and then tripled or quadrupled in the years since. Um, so just as a that, – that kind of made me laugh that that was an attempt like that – I'm not sure who would really buy into that besides the people who were already bought into the. Yeah, that was a situation where they were trying to say that water isn't wet, essentially. <laughs> that, you know, everyone knows water is wet. Everyone can touch water. Everyone can feel water. You can drink water. You know it's wet. But no matter how many times they repeat over and over and over, water isn't wet, water isn't wet, the average person out there, it, it's not, it, I'm going to say it's not going to carry water, but that'd be, it'd be bad fun in this case. But it's not going to gain purchase because everybody knows water is wet. Uh, one that I said earlier today was, it was a very simple statement, but I, I've got attacked for it by it from uh, some neoconservatives, was I, I simply asked the question, why haven't we seen a report yet on why the Notre Dame Cathedral was burned down? And they're attacking me and they're throwing all this, wow, there was a government statement and the spokesman came out. And I, said, I said, okay, fine, sure. But simply asking for evidence in some cases it drives the other side or the tribes of people who are pushing these narratives into uh, tizzies because now suddenly you're asking a question that you're not supposed to ask. Well, actually, I've worked in, you know, for a news cor uh, company, a news network, so asking questions about what's going on in the world actually is my job. And in this case, you know, asking questions about government narratives, you know, whether we you know, we decide to be skeptical or not, we should always be essentially skeptical and always ask for more details and more information. I, I believe that information is a fantastic disinfectant. Collecting information and intelligence is what I did for a long time in the U.S. government, the U.S. intelligence community, and it's what I continue to do now, only publicly as opposed to, you know, in, in, in the shadows. Sure. And here's, here's something along those lines. You know, you obviously especially as divided and charged as the political atmosphere is right now and it's and it's inroads into the media um when you say something like that 
there's automatically going to be strong opposition just because it's you saying it and you're on the side that you're on and you have the influence that you have. But when I, when I do stuff like this, and obviously I'm not at the level that you're at and I'm not at the reach that you're at, but what I often look for is not the people who I know are going to disagree with me, but, but what happens once I say that? Where, where do things start to shift subtly? Who changes their behavior or, or what is something that's thrown out that's not as obvious? Like you talked about, water's wet. Everybody knows water's wet. You might fool a dunce or two, but other than that, nobody's really going to buy in. But what about if somebody says that, well, maybe water's not moist or, I mean, that's a bad example, but I start to look for these, the subtleties and the subtle players, because that's going to tell me a lot more about what's actually going on than just the automatic opposition. And I wonder in that light, let's say that we use the Notre Dame example, where would you look to see, um, where the the real the real resistance is and the real subtle players and movers are as opposed to just this automatic hundred thousand people jumping on you because they didn't want you to say that well actually one thing that i that i do track and, and personally obviously for, for obvious reasons I, is the people that are coming at me but i try to track what are the networks of people that are responding to me quickly and so if mm -hmm. someone's responding to something that i've said quickly which does happen frequently and certainly happened in this instance and then start to question, what are the motives of the people that are responding to me so quickly? How, why is it that I'm on someone's radar? Why is it that, uh, you know, in this case, it was actually over a period of a few days where a certain network had responded to me multiple times and I caught them trying to uh, respond to me, but without, without naming me a few days ago, just by running a basic search and realizing that that must mean that there's a specific network that's trying to push a narrative against me, but also trying to for its own motives. So by determining what those motives are, now I'm going up to the higher echelons of their, their hierarchy, their leadership, their organization, understanding what it is that perhaps I've disrupted somewhere else because of one narrative that I'm putting out that may be detrimental to their interests. But uh, I want to say narrative. I, I hope that people understand that when I, I, I we mean factual reporting in this case. We, you know, everything is narrative, but it's what facts do you report and when do you report them? You know, you can say uh, Rashid Tlaib came out and said that you know, she felt the Holocaust was calming. Well, uh, maybe that's her feelings, but to a lot of other people, there's, there's lots of other feelings on that. She talked about the Palestinian experience, but we know that there are some Palestinians who sided with Nazi Germany during that time. So it's, neither it, it, of them are necessarily false, but which one makes more sense in the context of the statements. So that's what we're talking about when we say narrative is competing narratives. And so a lot of it is contextualizing and, and, and fighting the efforts of, of platforms to decontextualize. And so in order to do that, you, know, you always have to look at what, what networks are being aligned against you and then question what are those motives what are, is the impetus for this? What's the motivation for this? Uh, typically, it's profit-driven. Uh, a lot of it is clickbait-driven. Uh, my name at this point has, has driven a lot of clickbait to you know some of the SJW websites that you know, sort of tagged as someone who's, who's, who's anti-SJW, which is something I certainly uh, I certainly wear with honor. And as a as a as a son of, of Poland, uh, you know, Polish by by way of ethnicity, I'll certainly stand against the communists any day of the week. So, one of the big things that we do in terms of narrative disruption is even looking forward to see what narratives other players might be presenting 
either days or weeks from now, and then we start counter-programming from that point in the future back so that we might be launching, when I say we, I mean myself, people I work with at One American News or people I work with online, working on narratives to essentially create, um, not trapped, not trap narratives, but counter-narratives that exist even before they can get their thing launched off, off the ground. And that, that's something that really just takes a lot of timing, a lot of, a lot of precise knowledge of, of how the networks work, how these narrative networks work together on, uh, on the side that we're combating, but then also learning what their motives are and what their goals are. So obviously right now they're either, we're, we're going into 2020, so there's election season coming up, and uh, that's probably where a lot of the narrative warfare is going to be. It's already you know sort of starting to simmer, but it's going to be boiling here's just a few months. And so myself and a few other um, influencers, I guess if you use that term, have already started to have discussions about where we think things are going and that what things we can do to potentially counter the narratives that we're, that we're attempting to defeat at that time in the future. So we're planning ahead uh, two or three steps ahead. I mean, this is, you know, it's kind of cliche to say at this point, but I think it's entirely true. It's chess, not checkers. Uh, planning your moves out to, three steps ahead rather than simply waiting and responding for your opponent to, to make their move. Absolutely. And as you were, as you were just speaking, I was reminded of something that I found very impactful. And, and once I read this in your book, it, it was one of those instances where maybe you've been having a lot of threads and you're closing in on part of the picture. And then suddenly you get a piece of information and it. And it's like a revelation because it connects all these dots and, what it was is you said that you can you can craft a headline and then work your way back from that headline and understand all the pieces that have to be in place in order for that headline to be relevant and then proceed to enact those uh, different pieces until you get to the headline. So if, for example, you wanted to say that such and such candidate uh, had this problem, then you'd have to ask, okay, well, who are the people? What are the pieces? Where is it going to have to happen? And then try to influence events in that direction or influence the, the narrative in that direction to make that headline actually happen by, by working backwards. And I, I wonder how, how obviously you're, you're very intelligent and very practiced at this art, but how, uh, how would an average person sort of, cut through and, and begin to understand that the, there are powerful networks that are crafting these stories and maybe they're not necessarily in their best interest. And also to, to see the difference between maybe um, something close to objective reporting versus something that's got all this weight of uh, money and, and media influence and political influence behind it. Yeah, for sure. So a big piece of that is understanding that, that a lot of the networks out there, so the, the, the biggest networks are, of course, the corporates, and the corporates are, are very much tied to Wall Street. They're tied to the multinational corporations that they, that they are, are owned by, uh, News Corporation, Time Warner, uh, AT&T, et cetera, others, uh, Comcast, NBC. Uh, then you've got the, sort of your state-owned uh, network, so and state, state-run network, so Middle East Eye or Al Jazeera, which are both tied to either Respectively, Turkey or Qatar, uh, or you know RT, which is of course tied to Russia. The BBC, which is tied to Britain. Um, I guess the OA, in a sense, of the, the NGOs, is tied to the US. But really, 
what you've got here is a situation where you have to understand that everybody has their inherent interests. Everybody has their inherent narratives they want to push. Of course. And it's, it's understanding who's pushing what when, what their motives are for that, and then working backwards. It's, this information is always contains, you know, great bits of truth in it. And so it, it's tempting to, you know, brush aside everything that RT or Al Jazeera says by saying, oh, that's just propaganda because it's government sponsors. Well, that may be, but it's information that's being pushed for a certain narrative at a certain time. And so I suppose it's up to the listener or the viewer to ask themselves, even if I don't believe this, why is this particular story the one that's being pushed forward and what is it trying to obscure or redirect me from? Precisely. So a great way to read headlines is, I, I almost say, how is this headline attempting to influence my thoughts, feelings, or actions? And uh, it's a way that I always, I always try to get people to start thinking. Rather than reading the headline and reacting to the headline directly, it's taking that moment to say, who was the writer of this headline and how are they attempting to get me to react? And this, this by the way, it doesn't only work in a news media it certainly doesn't only work in, in uh, social media, but it's, this is this is marketing, this is sales, this is commercials, this is this is everything, right? Uh, everything from emotional trigger words to emotional anchors. Uh, that's something that's been used in marketing, advertising, going back hundred years. Sure, and uh, I actually, this is something I've used in my own life to um, sort of condition myself to respond to certain situations in a certain way, where you can you can um, sort of create these triggers in your, in your own life where if you train yourself beforehand, you can enter a psychological state over and over and over again in response to say like a certain type of memory, maybe it's an angry memory, and train yourself with the use of maybe a gesture or certain keywords that you think of to then when you enter a situation where you might become angry to influence your emotions in another way. And when I woke up to that, what I realized is that some of these same words, some of these same visualizations some of these same types of triggers that I was using to optimize my own mentality were being used upon me in the media because I had always been, even from a young age, very much into following politics. And when I realized that everything I was being told was not necessarily untrue, but aimed to influence me towards somebody else's agenda, I began to be curious about how I could use use the information that was being presented to me and then do my own thinking and make my own decisions, uh, sort of like you were just talking about. Yeah, um, actually, I'll give you a great example of that. Um, and this, this is, is the power of what we're ingesting. Um, and it doesn't only just come from, uh, but in terms of emotion, the power of our emotions, the way our emotions do control our thoughts, they absolutely do have the ability to do so. And that's uh, something that I do is, I rarely listen to music. It's, it's, I don't have it on in the background. I don't have, I certainly don't have it on when I'm working. It's, it's very rare for me to listen to music. When I, when I do listen to music, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I don't like music, by the way. I love music. I, I, I play piano, guitar, bass. Uh, but it's because music influences your emotional state and drives you to a certain emotional state. You know, people say like, oh, I broke up with my, a boyfriend, my girlfriend, so I want to listen to a lot of sad music. Well, that music is actually making you sadder. You're getting, you're wallowing in that emotion rather than doing something to get your mind off of the situation and shift yourself into another area. So 
when I'm working, typically I'll, I'll listen to white noise. I'll, I'll turn on, you know, uh, I actually have white noise uh, app on my phone. That's not paid, by the way. <laughs> or, or, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, updating uh, the advertisement, but I'll listen to white noise because I find it, it, it's very soothing. It allows me to focus, it allows me to center. And then if I am listening to music, I might listen to the gym. I might listen uh, to something pleasant while I'm driving. And I've found that by getting yourself into the proper state of mind, uh, you listen to, I'll listen to fast rock music when I'm at the gym. It helps. It really helps me drive myself forward. I'll listen to pleasant music while I'm driving, so that you know, if uh, there's some road rage incident, if there's some someone tries to cut me off, you know, the proverbial thing, that I don't get too upset about it because my mind is already put into a calm uh, mode, in a calm psychological mode. And I understand that it has that influence over me. And this is something that you know certainly we used. Uh, to an extent at Guantanamo Bay in understanding how, what psychological triggers, different media, different stimuli would have on our subject while in the process of trying to essentially collect information from them. Sure. And I know probably that's as far as you could or couldn't get too much deeper into the specifics about that at Guantanamo Bay, but uh, maybe. Well, yeah, the, I'm obviously not allowed to talk about any of the uh, subjects that we talked about, but the tactics themselves are unclassified. Okay. Well, let me let me let me take a, a, a small right turn here because there's there's another maybe factor I want to tie into the conversation and it, it relates strongly to narrative. I've been doing a lot of research into memetics and almost all of the research available is from military and intelligence organizations and um, what I've I mean, to just sort of parse it down to simple to understand terms, um, you're looking at a vector, which is the vehicle for the idea that you want to insert into somebody's um, meme plex or their like overall collection of ideas that they base their life around and how it influences they see the world. And then you have the actual idea inside of the vector. And there's a few pieces that need to be in place. Number one, the vector has to be able to pass through what I call the narrative immune system or the mimetic immune system where some stuff like some presentations are not going to work on certain people at all ever no matter what information is behind the presentation if it doesn't fit into their framework it's never going to uh, be successful and then number two is if you can get past that initial immune system then the information that you have that you want to relay has to be conveyed in, or conveyed in such a way that it fits within their pre-existing framework with very little effort needed to rearrange the way that they look at things. So it's just a slight nudge in one direction or the other. And if it doesn't meet those criteria, then you're probably not going to have a successful meme, whether it's an internet meme or just the transmission of an idea. And so I wonder, as far as we're talking narrative and then I'm kind of getting a little bit more into the mechanical end of the transmission of information. How do you, because I've watched you do it. Let me just make it more concrete. I've watched you do it for play with things like the, the cargo shorts or things like this, where it, you know, you're doing it with a bit of humor, but I'm watching you and I'm seeing, okay, you're tapping into emotions. You're um, placing this information in a place where people can easily relate to it because there's a lot of dudes out there with cargo shorts and they're either going to laugh at themselves or get angry and then people are choosing sides and you're literally creating this 
semi or this quasi-political movement out of cargo shorts. <laughs> I, so I, wondered, I appreciate the fact that you actually realized what I was doing. Well, it's, it's remarkable to me because when when people see that, they go, oh, ha, ha, this is just a fun thing. And then they kind of rejoice in taking the sides. But it's the same tools that are being used for all the other stuff. And I wonder how how conscious of you or are you of these little intricate tools that can nudge the information a little bit this way or that towards being successfully integrated or not? Well, at this point, uh, it's, it's, it's really governed by two things. Number one is experience the fact that I've been using uh, social media to some extent for almost 15 years, Twitter specifically for at least eight years. And then uh, really just seeing what works. I mean, take the example of cargo shorts. I had no idea that tweeting about cargo shorts would have gotten the level of engagement that it did. I mean, it was really just kind of started as an offhand joke because uh, I personally don't, don't ever wear shorts. It's something that my, that my wife makes fun of sometimes and uh, other of my buddies uh, rip on it. But when I hit that, it blew up on social media. And I saw the level of engagement and I saw the way that it, it bifurcated people, uh, it created really strong emotions on one side or the other, that people were extremely, they felt threatened, they felt challenged, they felt uh, offended almost, that I wouldn't wear a certain piece of clothing that they wore, or that I had a problem with the piece of clothing that they wore. And so once I realized that I was dealing with a deeply powerful emotion, uh, then essentially it becomes just, like you said, playing it for all it's worth. And so we're you know, coming up with, okay, who's on what side of it, who's in terms of, you know, and coming up with names, coming up with labels, then the meme started. So it was, you know, one side became, well, it said, okay, you're against shorts, but what are you for? So then I needed to come up with a, a messaging that I, on what I stood for. And I said, well, clearly I stand for suits. So I became suit squad and the other team became the, the, the shorts gang or team cargo shorts. And, and then you're, you're using these, these tactics to sort of play off of one another when you realize that it's, you know, it's really all just a joke, but you can actually do well, what, what fascinated me is that you could find people and I would find people uh, here and there, not a lot of them, but they would get so emotionally triggered by this uh, argument and really a, a slow argument. Um, I don't care if people are wearing shorts or not, <laughs> but you would have people even going so far as to unfollow me or writing these long uh, screeds about how upset they were that I would dare to tweet about their, their, their beloved shorts, the piece of clothing. And it, it fascinated me to realize that this is a powerful emotional trigger for people. It was fascinating to watch from the outside as a student of these things, but not really being in a position to, to influence it, just to, just to see how, how ready people are to, to become emotionally attached to anything in which they view opposition. And, and I wonder, do you, do you suppose that people have always been as sensitive as they are in this regard? Or do you think that that might be amplified by the fact that the political and, and media landscape is so sharply divided right now? You know, honestly, I, 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 that's something I, I constantly ask myself because I'm wondering if, you know, which one it is. I wonder if it's something where it's open this way or maybe we're just learning about it now. And I don't know if there's any way to tell, but if 
there's anything we know, it's that it's definitely becoming faster than it's ever been before. Um, the, the news cycles move faster. People line up one side or the other much faster than they ever did before. Uh, news cycles die off faster than they, ever die, than they ever did before. So decision cycles take much quicker to begin, be executed, and complete. And this is one thing that I do talk about in the book quite a bit, and that's the concept of OODA loops. That's a concept that was developed by uh, U.S. military fighter pilots. And when I say OODA, it's, it's an acronym, O-O-D-A, which stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And that's, that's a decision cycle, essentially. And what U.S. fighter pilots realized was that their ability to do that fat to go through those four steps and to do that faster than enemy aircraft always, almost always, led to their success in dogfights. And this is particularly the Korean War. Um, one fighter actually put this, this doctrine into place and said, realizing that if we can have tighter abilities to observe, orient, decide, and act than, than the opposing force, we can defeat them because we're operating at a faster rate of engagement than they are. And this is something that we're now seeing play out in narrative warfare. There's conventional warfare, of course, we're talking about where it came from. But in narrative warfare, we see that as well. I will certainly see that from uh, the President of the United States. And we're now also starting to see it from some of the younger generation of his opposition that have come up. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is fantastic at it. Andrew Yang is a little bit dabbling in it. Uh, Right of New York, O'Rourke has no ability how to do it. He has no clue how to do it whatsoever. Um, you know, his only new cycle is itself. He doesn't really know how to talk about any other topic. But you're starting to now see the ability of people on multiple sides use these tactics and use them quite efficient, uh, effectively. Okay. So when I when I consider these things and I I look I look out at the landscape. And I and I pay attention to the people who are playing the game well, whether or not I agree with their stance or not. Uh, like uh, Cortez is a great example because she, she seems to be able to perennially perennially pop up and and pick an issue and take a stance and do it in such a way that uh, people want to respond both in the affirmative or in the negative and and get pretty riled up one way or the other. Similar to uh, your ability to do the same thing and. I talked a little bit before about this narrative immune system and we kind of hinted at it, but I wonder what are some of the tools beyond, you know, you talked about OODA. Let me do it this way. You talked about OODA and it seems to me that it's almost as though most people in response to the narratives that are being played out miss the first three letters of that. They, they don't they don't really observe really what's going on. They don't orient themselves to the information. They don't really make any decisions. They just kind of act on what they're told. And I wonder how how might a person train themselves to be able to tap into those first three pieces of that puzzle to, to be a little bit more protected from just straight up manipulation. I, I have a great answer for you. And it's 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 something that I actually get so upset about when I see this as well, because I agree with you there that so many people do not take the time to observe and orient. And what that means in terms of narrative warfare is understand your audience or understand the audience that you're trying to affect. Write down the level of what words do they use? 
What grammatical syntax do they use? What adjectives do they use? What pronouns do they use? What feeling words do they use? What are set phrases that they already seem to use? Um, and you can understand that from any community, uh, regardless of what side you're trying to influence. And this is something where uh, copywriters have written about this at length for a very, very, very long time. So studying copywriting actually is extremely helpful. There's a lot of good books out there on it. There's a lot of great blogs out there for free on it as well. So I definitely urge people to look into the, the study of copywriting and understand how it is that someone who's writing basic sales copy has to understand which market they're attempting to influence, regardless of whatever their own interests are. They're attempting to influence a market that will you know, attach themselves to, in that case, a product, right? but they have to understand who those people are, what their interests are, what their thoughts are, what their desires are, what their dreams are, their hopes, their fears. Uh, all of that comes into observing and orienting yourself to a specific group of people, a specific community of people, and only then are you able to craft a message that is going to resonate with them. And I think that's what you were talking about a little bit uh, in terms of the narrative immune system. Uh, or essentially the, the information environment communities within the information environment which I talk about in the book, that you have to net, you have to give a message to people in a language that they can understand. Hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And there's going to be a lot of people who are sort of in my community on Twitter who are going to be jumping up and down to hear you mention copywriting. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, I'm immediately reminded of a particular scene in the movie Joe Dirt where he's talking to the guy at the fireworks stand and he says, it's not about what you want. It's about what the consumer wants because he's only selling snakes and bottle or, and, and sparklers. And obviously most people want the fireworks. They don't want just the snakes and the, and the sparklers. And I, I've actually relayed a similar message recently um, to some of my friends who are thinking about these same subjects because it doesn't matter. For example, if you have, the world's greatest philosophy or you have the world's greatest product or you have the world's greatest whatever if you don't have the ability to convince people that that's true then it's going to be as though you never invented it in the first place um that's exactly right i mean a lot of people have talked about how uh you can even apply this to some of the great franchises or some of the great uh entertainment um you know names out there uh people have talked about how the Beatles weren't necessarily revolutionary with the sounds they were putting out. There were other bands at the time that did it. Uh, people have talked about how uh, the original Star Wars movies were certainly not the first ones to follow that formula or you know, use those specific elements in their storytelling. But what they were able to do was they were able to take the best of all the elements around them, convert that into a very simple message, sound, package, and then deliver that to consumers for easy digestion, easy consumption over a mass period. And that is why they took off and became so successful. You know, it's not necessarily the fact that they were the best ever. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the Beatles. It's a huge part of the original Star Wars. We still am. But there's something very special about their simplicity. And you could easily say the same thing about Steve Jobs. Uh, iPhone certainly and Apple products in general aren't the most technologically advanced things in the world, but what makes them so marketable is the fact that they are simplistic. Hmm. 
And if you want to have the most impact across the largest audience, then you're going to have to play to the least common denominator. Is that about right? Well, not necessarily the least common denominator, but the, the most widely accepted uh, piece of information. You know, uh, Scott Adams writes in his one of his recent books that the three most powerful languages, or excuse me, the three most powerful words in the English language are we the people. I mean, think about how strong that that those that phrase is. We the people, and, and the ability that had to move and motivate others. We the people, right? Um, uh, one that comes up that's a little controversial, I guess, that comes up through my through my tweets sometimes is when I use the phrase "let that sink in." And uh, a friend of mine was actually who also does uh, some uh, some podcasts was saying that he doesn't want to use that phrase anymore. He thinks it's kind of played out. He doesn't think it's good. And I'll say, okay, fine, but find me another anger phrase that's only four words long, very short words, right? Uh, only four-letter words or three-letter words. And then that generates so much reaction from the people who are reading it, right? Every time I use it, if I use it properly, I'm getting thousands of retweets over it. Why? Because it's simple. And it conveys a strong, deep message at the same time. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So look, we've talked, we've talked about a lot of concepts and tools that many of your fans and, and many of my fans are going to be at least somewhat familiar with. And I think probably we brought more depth to this conversation than a lot of people are going to be used to, at least in the, in the sort of mechanical sense of how this game is played, if not the, the actual uh, narratives that are being thrust out there. And I wonder, there's a lot of tools and, and, and concepts and thoughts that we've put out there today, but some of these are gonna be more impactful than others. Some of these are gonna be more powerful than others. And if you were to sort of sit across from the person who's listening to this podcast, who's a curious person, um, and wants to know how they could take some of these tools and on the one hand be able to be able to protect themselves from the manipulation of the narrative but on the other hand to maybe even rise up like you you made a call to action in your book 40, 40 warfare to to do something about it what are maybe the one or two most impactful tools that could arm somebody to go out and be a 40 warrior to go out and um, be somebody who influences the world in the direction in which they hope to see it travel. Well, I would, I would, I would really take. You could boil all of this down into uh, into two phrases when it comes down to it. Number one, everyone is always trying to sell you something. We use repetition, so I'm going to say it again. Everyone is always trying to sell you something, whether it be uh, inter in interpersonal relationships, whether it be at work whether it be in business, whether it be in politics, whether it be in media, every piece of information that someone gives you, they are trying to sell you something. Whatever it is, whether they realize it or not, whether it's liminal, uh, subliminal, um, overt or subvert or covert, they are trying to sell you something. So that's piece number one. Piece number two of it is learn how to sell to others. Learn how to be that person who can take an idea Right, and when I say sell, I don't necessarily mean in the, in the sense of sell someone another product, but 
if you can sell someone a product, you can convince them of something. You're convincing someone to take an action. You said, you should buy my product. Why should I buy your product? And you can think of all the reasons in, in order to do that. So if you're good at selling, then that's the same thing as being able to influence. And this is where the President of the United States uh, gets a lot of his abilities from in politics because he's a master salesman, really is. Uh, we used to say to people that were going through uh, human training that, you know, your, your practice should be going out on the weekends and trying to pick up phone numbers from as many people as you can, right? Get that person's phone number. Maybe, maybe nowadays it's get that person's Instagram account. I hear people doing that more, more often. But the people I notice who are the best sellers are so fantastically good at that. And whatever it takes to close that deal and close it in a way that's positive, obviously, you know, to get things that are going to leave people upset. If you can close something like that, then you're well on your way to learning these tactics and learning how to make friends and influence people. Hmm. That's, you know, I've, I've done just over 40 episodes of this podcast and I almost always, with the exception of maybe one or two episodes, I try to get some parting piece of advice from my guests and they seem to revolve around just a few themes. And even though our conversation has been very different from a lot of the conversations that I've had, I find it fascinating that you, that you end up on a very similar train of thought to, to many of my guests, where it's just take a look at what's going on around you and take a look at the things that are already making an impact and ask yourself why and, and trace those around as much as you can and see the commonalities and then use those commonalities to your own benefit. Use them in your life. Use them in the way you approach people. Use them in the way you approach yourself even is one of the things I try to reiterate. These same words that you're being influenced with, you can influence yourself with them and you can, you can create uh, relevant to the conversation. You can craft your own personal narratives that run counter to some of the things that are being thrust in your face that you don't believe in. Even if you don't want to go out there and, and fight against the narrative yourself, you can do it within yourself and I suppose for me, more than anything, that's what I hope that the audience takes from our conversation is that they've, they've learned a little bit more about how the game is played and they've learned some of the tools that the game is played with and that they can use those to enhance their own abilities to essentially write their own story, to write their destiny and be free from any, I shouldn't say any, but can, can unchain themselves from much of the manipulation that the, the ignorant populace and I say that in the literal sense, not in the derogatory sense, but those who are unaware of the game are so much more readily influenced. And I guess on that note, um, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. I know that you're a busy man and that there's a lot of demands on your time, including your family. Um, so thank you very much for coming on here and, and entertaining my fascination with the subject. And um, if you, why don't you tell the people where they can find your book and, and where they can find you on social media if they're not already aware and, and any parting thoughts you might have or anybody you'd like to say hello to, and then we can kind of close it out. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I just want to say thanks again for having me on. Thank you for uh, having such a high level discussion. I really think that, you know, obviously the people listening to this, even listening to a, a subject uh, with a title as this podcast is going to have, it's making decision to spend your time to invest in yourself by listening to something like this, that we're going high level at it. 
Um, we're really reaching deep into this material. We're understanding it. You know, so many times we just deal with the wave top, talking about the news of the day. We're not getting into the mechanics of how these things work, and I think it's fantastic. So I just want to congratulate all your listeners for, for listening to this and for continuing to listen to the good work that you do here. As far as myself, uh, you can find my book, 4D Warfare, A Doctrine for New Generation of Politics. It's available on Amazon. It's available all across the internet. It's an audio version that's coming out very soon, read by your, yours truly. So if you like my voice now, you'll hear that same voice. <laughs> and you can find me also on television at One American News. This is a cable network you can get on, on Verizon and DirecTV. And then you can find me on social media. Most, most generally, I'll be on, uh, on Twitter at Jack Posobiec, J-A-C-K-P-O-S-O-B-I-E-C, tweeting about news of the day and my own dissatisfaction with Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Um, well, once again, then, uh, you know, it was, it was my pleasure to have this kind of conversation. It's, it's tough to have this kind of conversation about this subject in particular. So thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, it was a pleasure on my end. And with that, this has been the Logos and Trivial Podcast. I'm Chance Lunsford. He's Jack Basobic. And let that sink in. We're out. We here at the Logos and Trivial Podcast work hard to bring you the highest quality audio, the best editing, and the most professionalism of any podcast on the market. Either that or we do the exact opposite. Either way, Consider supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can support the podcast by supporting the podcast. There's a link somewhere, and I encourage you to click the link to support the podcast professionally. 